Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Can anyone else believe it is mid-November, but still only 2020? My name is Justin Hamilton, and time is so confusing I could be 7, 48, or 127 years old here on Big Squid. Returns today as we continue our Christopher Nolan rewatch with Interstellar. If you weren't quite across what we were doing, I think we've talked about it in previous episodes, but what we've been doing is staggering the Nolan rewatch because we knew that Victoria was in deep lockdown and we wanted to give everyone down there as much of an opportunity to have things go back to normal and go to the cinema to check out the film. Same with people overseas as well. We know everyone's in such different situations. So we've been staggering it and... I have to say, well, firstly, I think Tenet will probably be the last episode of the year or maybe the second to last. But anyway, that'll be coming out in a few weeks. And having recorded the last three movies, I think these episodes are our best yet. And we really hit some new thoughts and ways to enjoy the films. That's the main thing. Like, I hope you've enjoyed these podcasts as entertainment. But more so, I I hope we've inspired you new ways to find little interesting parts of the films that maybe you haven't seen before or we've helped accentuate things that you've only noticed in passing. So that's been the main gist of this rewatch and it's been a lot of fun for us. But man, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think I made Ben's head pop on the Tenet record that we did this afternoon. Anyway, a little bit of forward selling for our (laughs) Big Squid finale. Of course, today we're talking about Interstellar. And before we get to Ben, I want to talk to you about the Big Squid Live FOMA show on December 13. Come down to Giant Dwarf in Surrey Hills or stream us live into the comfort of your own home. 
This is a nerdy Christmas celebration with guests including Rove McManus explaining what makes a perfect Doctor Who Christmas special, Georgia Mooney singing songs that Carols by Candlelight would reject, Richard Feidler sharing the secret origin of Father Christmas, Ben Elwood and Alex Jay sharing the movies you should watch to send the relatives home, and Cal Wilson's friend Adele checking in from Melbourne. We've also added one more guest, comedian Alice Fraser, who will explain what it was like growing up to have a Jewish lady Santa delivering goulash to her Buddhist household. So if you prefer Christmas to be about Baby Yoda than Baby Jesus, this is the nerdy celebration for you. You can find more details at giantdwarf.com.au. And if you know people who'd like to come along or stream the show, please encourage them to check us out. The more people watching, the more viable it remains for us to produce the show. And we'd love to be able to continue streaming it online. You can just stay at home and be able to watch things in a safe environment, especially depending on where you are. Also, in the next couple of weeks, I'm touring with Tom Gleeson for a few shows. 21st of November in Canberra, we're doing two gigs that night, uh, the 28th of November in Newcastle and the 4th of December at the Sydney Opera House. If you're in one of those cities and would like to come along, head to comedy.com.au for more details. Now it's time to head to the future, a future where a failing earth puts humanity on the brink of extinction. Between a global crop blight and a second dust bowl, families do their best to cope with the slowly dying world. When a wormhole appears in our solar system, a team of NASA scientists, engineers and pilots take off in the hope of finding us a new home. But when you have to save the world, how can one man keep an important promise to the family he has to leave behind? This is Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. We used to look up in the sky and wonder at our place in the stars. Now we just look down and worry about our place in the dirt. Go for main engine start, T minus 10. We must confront the reality that nothing in our solar system can help us. Nine. I've got kids, Professor. How long? What have you gone? Eight. I'm asking you to trust me. Seven. Murph. You have to talk to me, Murph. Six. I need to fix this before I go. You have no idea when you're coming back. Five. Main engine start. Couldn't you have told her you were going to save the world? No. Four. When you become a parent. Three. One thing becomes really clear. Two. And I just want to make sure your children feel safe. One. you forever potentially habitable worlds right within our reach could save us from extinction here we go you can't just think about your family now you have to think bigger than that i am thinking about my family and millions of other families maybe we've spent too long trying to figure all this out with theory is the one thing that transcends time and space. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. 
rage, rage against the dying of the light. All right, you're ready. Yes, you are. We'll find a way. We always have. I don't think any movie is technically perfect. Like even a movie like The Godfather, there is that infamous scene where James Caan punches his brother-in-law and when you watch it, he misses by three metres. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> you know, so yeah, yeah, even, yeah. even the greatest movies have these moments where you're going, oh, that didn't quite... Uh, yeah, it's a human-made product and yeah, it's flawed, and of that's, course. And that's not a problem. That's but fine. this movie is actually perfect for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know, what was your first reaction hmm. when you initially saw it? Yes. And... What was your reaction this time? Okay, so uh, the first time I I went to uh, Sydney's Extreme Screen to see (laughs) Hang on, is that the George Street one? Uh, No, it was the one in Moore Park. uh, No, no, no. You know what? It's not even Extreme Screen. It's a fake IMAX. Yes. Uh, But that one's good because the the sound is... We've talked about the George Street cinema where the, the... Bit sound tinny. is yeah, bit it's just kind of a bit muddled, but yeah, yeah, that yeah. screen is actually yep, yep, yep. fantastic. So I went with a couple of friends, and I am the kind of person who likes to sit as close to the screen as possible. Jesus, uh, no peripherals. I don't like seeing the green exit sign in my peripheral vision when yep. I'm watching a film. Uh, and they were the the type of people that are like, no, no, we sit up the back, and. You know, I wanted to be social, I wanted to be with my friends, so I sat with them at the back, and whatever it was, 10, 15 minutes in, I was like, ah, fuck you guys, I'm ditching you out and going to where I want to sit. Never respected you more. (laughs) (laughs) And I had, it was easily one of the greatest cinematic experiences of my life. Yeah. That entire, I mean, anything with the space stuff was mind-blowing, but that in particular, the sequence, uh, the docking sequence, everything from Matt Damon revealing that he's the villain all the way through to basically to going into the black hole. Right. The the, 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 the sound and the music and that relentless organ was so loud that the seat was literally shaking. Yeah. And I was having a complete, you know, religious experience with yes. this thing. And also, you know... Um, I'm very interested in the idea of uh, all time being one time and all these things. So seeing these concepts uh, writ large, done like this, um, I had no criticisms the first time. It was perfect the first time because I was so blown away. Uh, Subsequent viewings, look, I have little nitpicky things with certain aspects of dialogue or story. But they're inconsequential because, you know, the the vast majority of the movie is so fucking fantastic. Uh, In a way, is it bad for cinema that we can rewatch the movies that we love whenever we want? Because hmm. the first time I saw the first few times I saw The Godfather, I never noticed that yeah. swing going nowhere near yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sonny's uh, brother-in-law. Yeah. But you know, you watch a movie enough. Yeah. Of course, you're going to pick up the flaws, and then that's when the nitpicks come in. Yeah. And is 
was life just better when you only got to see a movie again when Bill Collins said, let's rewatch it this Saturday afternoon? Yeah, I think uh, th- there is something to that. But then conversely, there is the stuff to seeing more and more of the good stuff, you know, right. little bits that you never noticed before that are spectacular. Um, but honestly, the only the only real issue I have with Interstellar, and it's not even an issue, again, it's such a nitpick, but it's um, Anne Hathaway's speech about love being... Uh, quantifiable. Quantifiable and, you know, the only thing that can transcend time and space and all I, you know, the cynic that I am is like, no, nah, hate can transcend time and space as well. Hate's just as powerful as love in a cosmic sense. Yeah, that's interesting. Blood feuds, I, I, blood feuds last for thousands of years. Yeah. That's interesting. We'll get to the, a little bit about that later, but I find that hate dissipates. You think? And, well, for me, so for you. It, like I'm not saying I'm I'm not I'm not speaking on behalf of everyone. Yeah. But there are people that I uh, there are people that have made me angry over time that then you bump into 15 years later and I don't have any anger for them because I've moved on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I, I can see someone like I can see. I I can bump into my first girlfriend. Yeah. And even though we have both moved on, when I see her, I can remember and feel that initial feeling that I had when I was 16. Oh, 100%. 100%. I've got an ex of mine, you know, she's one of my dearest friends. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we, God, we got together in 2004. Right. And when we see each other, it's still so warm and so full of love. I think, I think on an individual basis, yes. I think when you talk about the the human species. Yep. And before we turn the mics on, I was talking about my uh, dim view of humanity at the present time or all the time. I was going uh, to start <laughs> pressing record and then I thought, you know what? Uh, this Guess is a celebration of Interstellar <laughs> and not an opportunity for people who might be listening to this while they're driving and think, oh, that's a bridge. Let's just go over Yeah, it. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the human condition in the main, and this goes back to something I was talking about earlier with you, where I think individual people are spectacular, but the species collectively yes. is a poisonous virus. Uh, and I think that hate uh, in the main f- for the collective species lasts longer than love in the sense that, you know, you look around at, at, at blood feuds all around the world or wars that have been going on for hundreds of years and it's like what are you guys even fighting about anymore do you even know like because you know 500 years ago your grandfather did some other shit thing to some other guy and you're carrying that it's not even you like you didn't have anything to do with that but you're holding on to this hatred for a, a a group of people or a religion or a social strata that really hasn't done anything to you well so is that proper hatred though or is that misplaced traditionalism and also a a, a ridiculous sense of standing by what happened in the past so as an Mm. example like in 2020 Mm. i'm got my fingers crossed that germany will become a world power as in and 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 lead (laughs) us out of this shit right and you know you talk to older people, like mm. really old people now, mm. who still have an issue with the Japanese and still have an issue mm. with the Germans. Mm. And I don't discount that because that's their experience, but that has not passed on to me because I live in a, a better generation for Germany and a worse generation for some of our, in inverted commas, uh, allies. Allies, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, no, I think there is something to that. I mean, it does. it does seem to be that intergenerational hatred must be taught 
Yes. It must be a thing that is passed down. You know, when you hang out with kids, uh, up until about the age of, I would say, eight or nine, they don't give a shit what anyone looks like or no. what race someone is or anything. Oh, yeah. You see all those bits of footage of yeah. kids just hugging and yeah, rolling around and yeah, they're 100%. fine. They're just little humans. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's it's not an issue at all. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I think it's that learned, it's that old cliche of, you know, that... Um, the adults are the ones that pass on these prejudices to the right. kids. Um, so yeah, may- maybe you're right. Maybe hate is a is a, a, a traditionalist thing rather than a force of nature. It's so funny. The that is, that bit of dialogue from Hathaway is pretty much a, a real sticking point for uh, critics of the film mm. and say that it is like when they the the two the two parts of the movie that critics get really upset about and and discard the film mm. is that speech mm-hmm. and the tesseract really yeah people hate the tesseract they think it's bullshit they think it goes from hard science to and we'll get to the tesseract in a sec i've hard got a whole science. i've got a whole section i want to talk about on this but it's fascinating to me that in this movie yeah. that two minutes of dialogue yeah which like if, if if I was mates with Christopher Nolan, and what a beautiful world that would be. If you're listening, Chris, I'm right here. Just give me a call. I'll tell you. Just you, You'll be able to find me. I'm easily contactable. Uh, you know, I would have probably pared down that. It's a little naff. It's a little on the nose. But, but it doesn't like... But it's also... But it doesn't really bother me because it is also a teaching point for Cooper who hmm. discards... Like, it's a really fascinating moment in the movie because he picks up on it early when yep. he when she's talking and yep. the way she talks about him. She, he's like, wait a second. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then he discards her actual correct decision to go to that planet mm. because of it. So he discards it. This is and true. And so he has to... He has to learn from her that she was correct, mm-hmm. which then also allows him to find his daughter. Yes. Yeah, no, you're right. There, there is a point to it. I think it's just I think it's, it's more clunky. just the performance and the and the and the the scripting. But again, it's like uh, you know, as you said before, the vast, vast, vast majority of things I love have moments in them that are just yeah. like, uh, you know, whatever. It's all right. Yeah, it's fine. It's all right. Who cares? You know, there's, there's, we love Grant Morrison. There's huge chunks of dialogue in The Invisibles that is rough. It oh, doesn't yeah. mean that The Invisibles isn't great. Yeah, absolutely. It's fine. So, In fact, I would say that the flaw in a piece of art is the human aspect of it. You right. know, there's a there's an element of oh a human did create this yeah you know and I think you know the criticism of Nolan is this kind of robotic robotic kind of you know clinical soulless uh, side of him and I think aspects like that show oh no it is a human being trying to uh, articulate something that yeah. is bigger than himself oh yeah I've got I've got some questions about that yeah, as well right. for you yep. uh, I, I have spent a long time on this I've had a really good time I. I knew, I knew that I was going to love this movie, and I, I rewatched the trailers. Yeah. And uh, do you remember the first trailer? Yeah, isn't it like the ship taking off from the cornfield in the distance? N- yeah, that's the very end. But what it is is actually the it's it's real footage of life on Earth from the Dust Bowl to yeah, going right, to space, right, and right, uh, right. I think it was Howard Cosell being quite teary as we land on the moon for the first time, wow. and the Challenger. 
Yeah. Uh, well, not the Challenger, but one of the space shuttles coming in to land for yeah. the last time. And yeah. it's uh, McConaughey's narration, which takes aspects of the movie and talks oh. about how we were pioneers and we mm. strove for the stars and now you know we've forgotten who we are and mm-hmm. then it finishes with the it's obviously a scene that's not in the movie but mm. it's john it looks like john lithgow holding the hand of young murphy as cooper goes into yeah. space and then it says one year from now and and the, the pretty much the only other scene from the film is McConaughey driving and away from his home and crying right, and right. i watched that for the first time when it was released mm. and I made a decision that that was going to be the fucking greatest movie I had ever seen <laughs> and I was right for me. Is is this your favourite Nolan film? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I think it's probably my favourite film. Yeah. And it is... But everything about that trailer mm. is... Hit me emotionally. Mm. It, it was everything I'm interested in, mm-hmm. and it got back to my youth of being fascinated with astronauts mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. thinking of those people as real heroes going somewhere that had never been before. <laughs> yeah. And the I've often lamented, which is something that we <laughs> unfortunately bond over, or fortunately, I don't know, the lack of human endeavor from the micro to the macro. Yes, and the music was on point, and I. And the McConaughey, you know, renaissance was in full swing and he just looked to me like one of those heroes of old and I was like, this is going to hit me right in the chest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not only does he look like a hero of old, he looks like a movie star of old. Oh, absolutely. Well, so let me get to this. This is (laughs) question number two for you. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be a long one, folks. Strap in. We are, if you want this to be quicker... Listen to it next to a black hole. (laughs) Matthew McConaughey's character is a throwback to American heroes, feeling like an amalgamation of Paul Newman, Gary Mm. Cooper, Mm. and Sam Shepard as Mm. Chuck Yeager in The Right Mm. Stuff. Mm. He's obviously a smart guy. Mm -hmm. He's also a little bit naive. Like, you know, when he gets there late for the meeting and they say, you're late. And like, he just doesn't even flinch. He's just like... Oh, we have a flat. Yeah. Oh, and we found that drone. Or when he says, oh, when they pick him up on the space station, oh, I named it after me and they giggle. No, it's named after... And he doesn't flinch. He's just like, oh, I named it. Like, he yeah. doesn't... <laughs> he just kind of accepts things. Yeah. But he's also... I think that naivety comes from an idealistic nature. Yes. And... There, there is also a streak of that American manifest destiny kind of thing. Yes. Uh, like the the... The positive side of it. Yeah, it was exactly right. It's very yes. based in yes. the Americana myth, isn't it? The myth of America, maybe not the reality of America. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Do, uh, do you like the character of Cooper? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I do have questions as to the selflessness of his motive of leaving. Right. Uh, I, you know, because it's a fucking gamble. You know, and I know he's like... Well, he is deceived. He is deceived. But even if he wasn't being deceived, to say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to shoot into a wormhole and I'll see you when I see you, like, and driving off. Like, I think that there is an element of selfishness to him that isn't malicious. No. But it definitely is that, like, he is bored. 
He's like, and I think they set that up very well in the first 40 minutes when he's sitting on the porch drinking the beer. And he's clearly a man who's just like, ugh, you know, I used to have this, you know, quite exciting life as a, as a test pilot and all this stuff. And I do think that there's a part of him that is, you know, I am an adventurer and I got to get out there. And, um, Again, it's not malicious, because I do think the intent is good. I do think that the intent to save his children is pure. But I think that there is a element of selfishness slash manifest destiny in anyone that goes, that has children yes. and then leaves their children for an extended period of time to do something incredibly dangerous. Yes. Because there's a need in them to, I have to do this. Yes. You know, and I, and I, and I would say the same about artists. You know, uh, I remember... Uh, you know, uh, Frank Zappa has, well, had, he's dead now, four, four children. And I remember at the time thinking, why did you have four children, man? You, like, all you do is sit in the studio all day making music. Like, why, you know, at what point is the, uh, what's the equation between I have to follow my heart and my dreams at, versus your responsibility to be available and present for the life that you've created? Well, there's there's a couple of things to that. Uh, that I want to jump on. Really, really interesting. Uh, one is, I think part of his the reason he goes is, you know, there's the broader scope of saving humanity, mm. but we've also just seen him deal with the frustration of school where his son is smart but can't get into mm. uh, college and is going to yeah. be reduced. Like, they've already decided he's a farmer. They're not giving him an option yeah. to maybe be something else. Now, he wants to be a farmer, yeah. but he's not getting the opportunity to go out and get education and then potentially grow into something else he might want to yes. do. And his daughter is being kind of boxed in with her obvious intellect. Yes. So I, I think a part of... I, I agree with everything that you said, but I think there's also this sense that if I can go and make things better then mm. my kids will have an opportunity to have an opportunity to grow yeah, as yeah, well yeah. this also feels very much like a part of a very loose trilogy in the prestige inception and interstellar sure. where nolan is you know the prestige is talking about being uh, a performer and and uh, and how you present works of uh, entertainment to people yeah. and the cost of that. Yeah. And Inception is very much about, in many ways, you can look at it as about the movie-making process. Yep. And Interstellar, he's a father of four, and it is in some ways him discussing what it's like to leave your family behind, to go on a grand adventure and do something for everyone else. And Sorry, Nolan the, is a father of four? Yes. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, okay. yeah, so he and his wife have been together s since college. I knew they had kids. I didn't yeah. realise that many. Yeah. yeah right. So I, I think there is, I think that's part of what makes this movie yeah, sure. really personal because I think Cooper is, in many ways, a lot of Nolan's fears and anxieties for mm. the world, for his children yeah. and what he does as as a job. Yeah, I mean, it, when, when you say that, it reminds me a lot of um, David Attenborough, actually, you know, because, yes. you know, probably my favourite human of all time. But, you know, you see interviews with Attenborough's kids and, you know, they they don't have that connection to him because right. he's their dad and he was never there. Yeah. You know, and so he's kind of like the, the father of us all, but his actual kids didn't get that yeah. thing because he was off in Borneo and Madagascar and doing... You know, educating the world, helping all of us to the detriment, or, you know, whatever, not to the detriment of, but 
Yeah. No, but there is a price. There's a price. Yeah. 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 Uh, I also like that Cooper is rebellious and mm. he's rebellious in the ways that rebellion was meant to... Like, rebellion has taken on the wrong context yes. in modern times. Yes. Rebellion now is fucking idiots. Like, well, it's nihilistic. Rebellion yes. is all nihilism now. Just fucking burn it down. It's like like that shit with Christy Alley. Kirstie Alley. I don't even, I'm not even going to get her name right. That's how little <laughs> respect I have for her now, saying she's voting for Donald Trump because he's not a politician. Oh, That's fuck like, off. You know what? I'm not going to go to the uh, to someone who's not a doctor if I have yeah. something that needs to be removed. Exactly. I'm not going to ask someone to make me a drink who's, never, who's fucking Amish. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think people use the plane analogy a lot, you know? Like, yeah, yeah he's not a pilot. Cool. Like, cool. I don't want the guy flying the fucking plane. Yeah. And, I, and I like Cooper is rebellious. And one of the scenes that really bonds me to that character and his relationship with his daughter is he gets her suspended from school yeah, for yeah, talking yeah. about the space program. Does I'm curious, does this scene in particular stir anything in you? Because... I'll be honest, when I watch it, it makes me wish I was the dad of a super smart daughter. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely it definitely uh, resonates with me in the sense that I, um, you know, the kids that I like the most, because it's that dual thing of like, you know, when you're educating kids or when you're around kids, like clearly you need uh, some compliance. Yeah. You need them to shut up and listen when it's time to shut up and listen. Yeah. And often the hardest ones to deal with the kind of kid that I was, where it's like, yeah, like, but there's a certain type of rebellion that, like, yeah, good for you, kid. You're yeah. right. You are right. Like, push back. You know, you don't want too much compliance. And so, right. yeah, absolutely, it resonates. You should be, there should be a type of rebellion that is encouraged to a, to a point. To a point. To a point. Rebellion should be... Questioning and pushing back yeah. at the structures if there is a flaw in it. But isn't that where we, that, 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 that's why scientifically, philosophically, technologically, where we are now, right. that people went, no, that's, you know, Galileo, yes. Newton, all of these people. Yes. You know, we're rebels. Yeah, the world is built on smart rebellion yeah. and flawed rebellion, I yeah, guess. Absolutely. You know, I have just had... Jesus was a rebel. Well, yeah, absolutely. So I'm really... I've just literally, correct use of the word literally, remembered a moment from when I was in primary school Mm. when we had a priest come around and talk Mm. to at our school. I went to just public school. And when we were asked to... We were given the opportunity to ask questions. I asked questions Mm. and i was saying how so if adam and eve had all of us how like are we all related and all these incest babies and mum had mum was there and she had some of the parents like going whoa like you know you've got such a good son he's asking all these questions and mum was wrapped that i had asked those questions and i now wonder if subconsciously that's why that scene resonates with me yeah absolutely because it is very much like my mum would have gotten me suspended if it meant that the teachers were talking baloney yeah absolutely yeah 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 yeah. what a funny thing to remember (laughs) all these years so here's here's some fun stuff that i have been it was hard for me not to text you because i didn't want to waste it (laughs) so what's cooper's first name oh shit um they don't tell you they don't tell you so i did some research his first name is joseph 
and which goes back to the original script. So with the initials JC, this made me think uh. about the religious themes throughout the movie, from the end times on Earth to the use of Hans Zimmer's music to the very fact humanity ascends into the sky to the fact that sometime in the future we evolve into beings who transcend the rules of our universe. Cooper also sacrifices himself only to be reborn, yet it isn't God that saves us, we save us. Has this interpretation ever crossed your mind? No. <laughs> okay, next question. <laughs> but it's great. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's it's funny. I think it's uh, not by general standards. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I don't think anyone should watch this for the first time and immediately have that thought because I didn't have that thought. No. And I had to do a little bit of research for it to be triggered but as soon as i saw the initials of jc i was like oh this is like of course this is this is using the the emotion and themes of religion to tell a scientific story that at its heart is very optimistic and is saying to us if we love one another we can Mm. Get further, and we can transcend yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can transcend our baser instincts and yeah. kind of actually become human. You yes. know, I've often thought, you know, I don't know at this current juncture or if ever that the species collectively has the right to call itself human beings, right. because human beings, in my definition, are creatures that love and contemplate and philosophize and try to be better. And, I th- and back to what we were saying about humanity in the main, I think in the main, we are still very much a slave to our baser animal instincts, eating, right. fucking shitting, territory, all these things, which yeah. is what will eventually destroy us and which is what is destroying us within the context of Interstellar. Uh, and I do think that the movie is about transcending those baser instincts and becoming, uh, fulfilling our true potential. Right. And we do have unlimited potential. That's the true tragedy of the human condition. Right. Is that potential that exists within all of us, but collectively we're still fucking, you know, cavemen. Yes. <laughs> and it's it's locked into the DNA. And yeah. it's and is it is it the fact that what helped us transcend to this point is also what will be our downfall? Like is it yeah. are we incapable of overcoming the the way we're hardwired as a species to actually get to that place where mm. we can be uh, beyond it all. I think it's a. I think it's. It is, and it always has been a a, a race between our uh, collective uh, consciousness, evolution, and our toys. Yes, and our ability to use our toys in a way that uh, doesn't destroy ourselves and every living thing. You know, and. Um, you know, at, at this current juncture, we can't... I mean, we can't even use a fucking iPhone responsibly, yeah. let alone nuclear weapons and, yeah. you know, smelting plants and all the rest, you know. I mean, what do they call it? The Anthropocene? That we are, you know, we are the leading edge of... We're basically a flesh comet. Right. You know, like, we're, we're the thing that's going <laughs> to bring about the next grand of um, a grand extinction. And I think if we... I, I, I do believe that if we had somehow been able to slow the pace of our technology, even by a hundred years, if we were psychically where we are now at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, I think we might have had a chance. Right. But I think it just happened way too quickly. And we're, we're monkeys playing with fucking nuclear weapons and right. it's not fucking good. And progress 
just raced ahead of us and yeah. we have done whatever we can to try and hang on for the ride. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, yeah, and I think if you look at what's happening now with the, the kind of increase, the, 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 the increase in tribalism and all these very ancient um, yes. uh, modes of thinking, uh, they do not uh, jive with the, the power that we have. Our power is too great and right. we don't have the ability to use it well. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think we're going to make it. <laughs> Please Sorry. don't drive off the side of the road if you're listening to this <laughs> while you're driving. Hang in there. There's still more joy to come. There's joy. There is joy. There, there is joy. joy. But John Lithgow, who, uh, by the way, underrated performance right. by John Lithgow. Yep. Like, yep. so, yep. like, subtle. He's, he's really subtle. Oh, completely. Yeah. And he's barely in it but he holds a presence yeah absolutely. so when you find out that he died it's mm. such a yeah. oh yeah of course yeah, yeah yeah and he's very funny yes and he says you know the seven billion people are wanting their bits and pieces yeah. but the the fact that cooper's wife because they didn't make a certain type of machine anymore that would have found what was wrong yeah you know yeah. it's yeah it's it's all very um it's all very true, but, uh, you know, you try to, <laughs> like, it, it makes me inarticulate. It's all very true, mm. but it is something that's so big and to try and wrap your head around it. And well, I think that, I, that's where I do find this movie to be optimistic because it doesn't run yes. away from these ideas. Yes, and I think the running away from the ideas at this point is criminally negligent. I was talking about this with a friend the other day. Uh, we watched the Attenborough, new Attenborough documentary, uh, his witness statement, yes. and it's clearly devastating and, you know, I was crying uncontrollably for a whole day about it. But it seems... I, I said this to you before. It seems like we're now all going through a second adolescence where our eyes are opening to what is going on, what we've done collectively, where we're going, and to turn away from it is... Well, that's where climate denial and all this other stuff comes in, and it's like at our own and everything else's peril, we have to face it. We have to spend periods of the day feeling harrowed and, and terrible about it or, or else what are we going to do? We have right. to. We have to face it. There's a there's a scene right at the end of this film where Cooper's on the space station with Tars and mm. he sort of says, I don't I don't like this. Mm. Why have we recreated what we left behind? Mm. And on a very superficial and micro level, I've just started doing gigs again. Mm. And I'm a bit fascinated by the lack of, and I've only done a handful of gigs, so mm -hmm. I say this as a, a small sample size, but mm. I'm a little bit disappointed yeah. at the lack of comedians who seem to be tackling this idea. Yep. And, like, don't get me wrong, if you went to a comedy show and there were 15 people all talking about COVID, that is depressing, but... What I think is important within that is 15 different views on it. So we Absolutely. all get an, an understanding of it and we can laugh and we can enjoy ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was funny because I headlined a spot and, you know, like I did, 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. And it was all related to the past six, seven months in yeah. some way. Yeah. And people were saying, like the comics were very generous. They were saying, oh, that COVID material's tight. And it's like... I I reckon I just did COVID material and no one else 
did it. And I'm just yeah, a bit yeah, fascinated yeah. by, I think what we do as a species and you walk around and you notice that life is getting on, which is great. I am not complaining about mm, that. Mm, mm, but what have we learned? What are the lessons yeah. we've learned? What, how have yeah. we changed? Yeah. How do we go back to a way of existing that is conducive to everyone mm-hmm. but is informed by our recent experiences. Absolutely. I don't I don't want things to go back to normal. But I it, want things to be better. But it can't go back to, for me it, just as an individual it can't go back to normal. It's as I said it's the second adolescence. You know when I was 20 and I suddenly woke up to realize like oh all governments are full of fucking crooks and basically all this myth th- these myths of how great we are was a, a fucking myth. It wasn't yeah. really true and things are more complicated than that and more adult than that. You can't then just stick your fingers it's it, it, and at this point it's criminally negligent to stick your fingers in your is and pretend this idea that we can just go back to the way it was what five ten years ago we can't the mm. air is becoming increasingly unbreathable mm. that you know the 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 you know the fucking amazon rainforest is burning down well, like what how can we all just i mean at that point it would just seem like a, a derangement to just pretend mm. that everything is fine right and the the great law of biological life is evolve or die right and at this point, we've evolved our bodies. Uh, uh, you know that if we continue to live a million, another million years, our bodies will change and evolve. But at this point, all we can evolve is our consciousness and our mind. And unless we evolve, we will die. We yes. cannot live as we lived 50, 60 years ago. We have to change. And this notion that we can just oh, this year's been really stressful. I just want to go back and not think about this kind of stuff. Well, then you're going to be fucking dead soon. So, yeah. like, I'm not saying it's easy. No, um, but. You know, what's the choice? It's either move forward, you know, or ignore it at your own peril or at the, the peril of all things. Of all things. It's, it, once again, on, on a really small level, this is the reinvention of this podcast. Like, because I was in the middle of festivals mm. and there was this feeling of, you know, I'm wanting to express and create. Mm. And... I really suppressed it for the first few weeks of lockdown because I wanted to make certain that I knew why I was doing something. Mm, mm. And the second season of the Bowie album Mm. was me working through that process. Mm. And then when it came back as a weekly podcast, it was, I want to put something positive into the world, which isn't preaching happy, happy, joy, joy, but is a collective of interesting smart people from all over the world yes. who are bringing something that is hopefully for the listener enriching, positive, inspiring, you know, makes them go and check something out that they wouldn't have checked out, yep. reminds them of something that they already love yes. and yes. creates a dialogue. Yes. And that is that's such a small thing in, in the whole world. But if everyone did that in their own industry. If yes. everyone tried to find a way to make things work and be more positive and create yes. a good dialogue, we would be in a much better place. Yes, yes, yes. The, 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 the human condition seems to be so binary in its thinking, black or white, and it seems to be either... We're, we're at this juncture point now where it's like people either want to just go, no, no, no everything's fine, everything's going to be fine. I mean, you know, Bill Gates will invent a carbon machine that sucks all the carbon out of the atmosphere. It'll be fine. Technology will fix it. Or complete surrender to despair where it's just deranging and you you know and i probably err way too much on that side but really i think the only solution is a middle ground where we are 
adults yeah. and accept the fact that it's fucking messy and complicated and we found yeah. ourselves in a very dire situation. I mean, I don't understand. If a person uh, finds a lump in their arm one day, yeah. they don't either just go, oh, blah, 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 and, and pretend it's not there or collapse. They go and investigate and they move on from there day by day and figure out what is happening. But it right. seems, you know, and again, this is a, it's, it's a population problem. It's the fact that everyone has their own agendas and their own views and da, 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 that we can't form a consensus. But I think if we could all collectively find a way to face the challenge realistically instead of this Sky News Murdoch fucking not. It's not yeah. real. Or, oh my God, we're all going to die. Yeah. You know, I mean, where, where, you know, you realize collectively as a species, I think we have the intellectual capacity of a 12-year-old, really. Right. I, I, you know, it's either denialism or... or um, well, as you said, it's it's binary, isn't it? Like, yeah. even saying that being a grown-up and uh, knowing that the world is messy doesn't exclude being able to feel wonder yeah, and yeah, feel absolute joy it's it, it it has to be all of it yeah and we have to embrace all of it to help move forward absolutely anyway. whereas yeah. it feels like you know we'll, we'll go we'll get off this in a second but it does feel like there's a contingent of the population now that has surrendered to the fact that oh we're all probably fucked so hey let's party while we still can oh, yeah. you know like let's fuck while the plane's going down right you know fuck it i don't need to conserve anything i will eat fucking meat for every meal fuck it while i still can it's right like, uh if you just back up a little bit maybe we won't maybe the plane won't go down right <laughs> oh yeah maybe it's just turbulence <laughs> yeah. and now you're fucking in the seat next to me and i feel awkward and you're not wearing masks. Jeez, why did I catch this flight? <laughs> Obviously, Virgin. Um, <laughs> uh, Arthur C. Clarke famously said, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Mm. We see this in the bookcase at the end of the movie, but we also see this in other movies, like the monolith's divinity to the ape men in mm. 2001 and the symbiosis between science and religion in contact with Matthew McConaughey as a Christian minister. Why do you think religious stories can infuse science fiction with almost like an apparent ease? Mm-hmm. Um, Is it because they're both in their own way? It's a similar journey of leading towards enlightenment, but one is based on myths and one is based on the capacity of science. Yeah. And, and therefore they, they actually do make Yeah, and I think that both are partners. both are uh, both are completely dependent on imagination. You know, myth comes from the human imagination as does technology. Mm. You know, someone had to imagine an iPhone for the iPhone to, to exist. exist, right? Uh, and so on, you know. And um, so, what you're saying is, Steve Jobs should have not made the iPhone, and he should have made I God. <laughs> well, I mean, fuck for a lot of people, it is I God, right? Yes. You know, I don't think. I mean, didn't he design the iPhone to look like the monolith from oh, 2001? Yes. You yes. know, it's and it's, I mean, I can't watch 2001 now without seeing a giant iPhone in the middle of that. Yeah. Uh, you, what you want? Plane. Yeah. You you want one of the apes to walk up, hit Twitter, and then just write <laughs> some horrendous shit, and then you go, oh. Sh- that's exactly what Trump wrote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, that's um, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And and I, because I'm a staunch atheist, like I'm a militant practicing atheist. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to do. Yeah, you don't, don't do, do anything. anything. <laughs> <laughs> 
I am in awe of religious imagery, and I am yes. in the, the, the. It took me like so. Mum can't stand the music in Interstellar. Can't stand. Oh, it's it. my thinks, favorite soundtrack. Thinks it's too loud. Thinks it's overpowering. Oh, just hates it. Whereas wonderful. it's probably my favorite, and I find it extremely emotional. And mm. there are scenes in the movie which we'll get to later, but there are scenes in the movie that still inspire their hairs on my arms to stand up and I have seen this movie 11,000 times. Of course, of course. But I don't think that you need to believe in a particular denomination or religion to feel, for want of a better phrase, religious awe. Yes. Uh, I mean, I feel it every day. I mean, I'm not I'm not atheist. I don't have a religion. I'm a staunch agnostic. A um, little bit more work. Yeah, a little bit more work. Uh, leaves yourself a little bit more open to options, like yeah. a choose-your-own-adventure type thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, no. you're, you're at the door to heaven going, hey, I just need to say, I might not be on the door list, but I, I never said this door wasn't here. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So come on, let me in if it's real. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think all religion is a human construct to um, articulate the inarticulatable and, right. and to quantify things that are beyond the scope of the human brain to comprehend. And I think, all these things you know the problem is when we confuse uh what does joseph campbell say the um people read the bible in terms of the denotation instead of the connotation it's purely a literary mistake right Uh, and i think that's the perfect encapsulation of it it's wow um you know i think we um we have to as a species uh our brains have evolved to be able to comprehend our true nature and our true nature is that we are a manifestation of the universe that can understand what it is yes uh and that is uh beyond mind-blowing yes uh and so um people need stories to be able to tell themselves to put it into a a context, Nar- a context and, and a yeah. narrative. To, yeah. You know, otherwise it's just, you know, you either have to, you, it's too overwhelming otherwise. But, you know, I, I when, the first time I walked into St. Paul's Cathedral in London, mm. I would say it was a religious experience. I didn't feel connected to Jesus or God, yeah. but my it took my breath away and I stood there and I understood it. I understood yes. how if you were some person who lived in a straw hut 300 years ago and you trudged across the fields to get to London and you walked in there, you would believe in God. It was just spectacular yeah. to think that a human being or a series of human beings could do that. Yes. Um, and I think that's the, the power of all of that imagery. Um, I think the problem is when people uh, take it too literally and want to kill each other over oh. a fucking clerical error. It's like, bro, it's all the same shit. You know, it's, it's, it's all the same. Uh, that's uh, that's as close as I get to a belief system, which is we are, as you said, the universe made manifest to observe are. it. And we then, when we die, that is everything we've observed is the universe knowing itself. Absolutely. And then Absolutely. that's what makes it tragic because maybe we were meant to travel from this island to that continent, from that continent to that continent to that planet to spread out through the universe. No, but, but the initial idea to spread out through the universe and be somewhere and go, that's a black hole. That's a, that's a planet with two rings, you know, that kind of thing. And it is the tragedy that there's all this wonderful stuff around us and we're, too busy having panic erections over mm. the next presidency. Yeah, or, or fighting over, you know, like I've become, I work with uh, a bunch of young Christians and they're very, very, very religious Christians. And 
you know, I'm incredibly close to them mm. and we have these, you know, really intense theological dis- and they're discussions. They're not debates. Yeah. We're not fighting. And it's so interesting. Uh, one of them the other day was kind of saying to me, like he can't wrap his head around, like he says, when he was saying to me, he goes, when, when I, when I hear you talk about nature or when I hear you talk about your life and everything, you have like kind of like a misty eyed religious quote religious reverence for nature and the world and the universe and he was saying i can't like for me as a christian i can't understand how you can access that feeling without the construct of a religion right um you know and i said you know can i speak freely and he was like yeah of course uh and i was like the problem that i have with any organized religion is your god is too small your your god is you know a man Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> on a cloud. Yes, <laughs> you know he's got all these rules. You know the, the awe that I feel is the awe of surrender. Of I, I, I understand that I can't understand it. Yes, and I understand that it is so much more awesome than I am. And the very fact that I am a collection of uh, atoms and particles that has somehow I don't know how gained sentience and self awareness to realize what it truly is. And I feel a deep resonant connection with the universe. I don't think that my consciousness will exist after I die. I fucking hope it doesn't. Uh, But, you know, the fact that I know when I die, my particles will disassemble and reassemble and have done so over and over and over again for billions and billions of years brings me a great deal of peace. And I don't need a a human-created narrative or story to be at peace with that that's mm. enough mm. you know um and 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 and, and that's and you know I'm, I'm at a point in my life where i don't resent or have contempt for religion i have i have contempt for religions that are destructive right uh and, and and toxic but you know i wish that the, the the major religions of the world could just realize again the joseph campbell thing of it's all the same thing. Yes. It's all the same thing. It's just wearing different costumes depending on the continent or the country that yep. it's in to resonate with the people of that culture. Yeah. And, but beyond anything, it's the same. I mean, th- it's trite to say, but the great tragedy of the three major religions is they all worship the same fucking God. Right. And they're all killing each other and they hate each other and you're wrong and you're going to burn it down. No, you're not. No. It's the same thing. It's, yeah. it's cosmic consciousness or whatever the fuck you want to call it. It is all the same thing. But we get lost in, again, in the uh, connotation, the, the Dino, whatever, whatever I said before. You know, it's you know what I would love is everyone. You know, it's a, it's a great question. If you could time travel, where would you go? And people often will say the dinosaurs mm. or Jesus, or they'd go and see specific moments. Or people talk about, oh, I'd go back and kill Hitler, and then you get to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. None of these are like they're, they're fairly obvious things yes. that people talk about and yes. all worthwhile talking about. What would be fun is to go back in time, get the writers of the Gospels, and bring them forward and go, look what you did. Yes, <laughs> look what you did. <laughs> Can you just make sure? Can you can you rewrite this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all get on the same page because this is your fault. Yeah, you are the fucking Dan Browns of this planet, you pieces of shit. Well, I mean, I've I've often said I feel a profound grief for Jesus if he, yes. if he existed. Yes, uh, you know, I doubt 
that he intended to create 2,000 years of strife and chaos. Imagine, he sounds like he was a pretty cool dude. Imagine Jesus watching Trump. Oh, yeah. no. Exactly. Or, 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 you know, these Anyone. fucking pieces of shit, you know, uh, send me a $1,000 check as oh. a seed and you'll get, I'll cure your cancer. Oh. Fuck you. Yes. How dare you? Yes. You know, like, I, I, you know... I, I've often said Jesus would be spinning in his grave if he could see what his very profound, beautiful philosophies have wrought. It's right. awful. Right. It's just hideous. And that's why, you know, the, uh, these Christians that I get on with uh, uh, very well at work, I mean, really, I've got more in common with them yes. philosophically and spiritually than I do with a lot of people on the left now. Right. Um, you know, because they're... They're incredibly open-minded. They're incredibly comfortable in their own philosophy. That you know, and they're not getting blanching and getting offended and outraged when certain questions are asked. Oh yeah, you know, and that to me denotes true faith. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't. I've got my own belief system. I don't care if someone laughs in my face and goes, "You're a fucking idiot." That's fine. It yeah. works for me. Yeah, like I don't, I don't need your endorsement. It, it's amazing how the militant left. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You know, like, like an artist like Ricky Gervais, who technically I agree with mm. everything he believes mm. and the way he talks That's about it. Sometimes I sit there and I think, you know what, I'm going to go and eat a bacon double cheeseburger deluxe out of spice. Absolutely, absolutely. This thing. and and I agree with him. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. I mean, I agree with so much of what's going on with the militant, the, with what the militant left's rhetoric is. But the delivery system has this kind of like. Uh, you know, Orwellian thought crime aspect to it or this kind of like, I'm right, you're wrong, which mm. is, you know, again, which is why I kind of, uh, I can't really get on board with the atheist movement either. Mm. I, I, I once saw an atheist standing outside the comedy store in an atheist shirt with an atheist badge handing out atheist literature and I burst out laughing going, you have adopted the very tactics of yeah. the thing that yeah. you purport to hate. Yeah. You have just become the version of a version of the thing that you hate more than anything, and uh, you're just doing the same thing. As an atheist, I'm really offended by that atheist, <laughs> and I'm going to go and kill him. In the name of my atheist girl. <laughs> In the name David of Dawkins. <laughs> um, as with The Dark Knight Rises, and I, these, you know how we've been coupling movies yes. together, and I feel like these two couple together mm-hmm. quite well. Uh, as with The Dark Knight Rises, Nolan is ahead of the curve when it comes to social politics that aren't popular in the mainstream at the time of release. This time it is the anti-intellectualism and the rise of mainstream conspiracy mm. theories that have reduced teaching faculties to believing that we never went to the moon. Mm. How do you feel about the example of Nolan playing with issues we don't want to confront. Is this why some of these movies 
rank lower on the list of popular Nolan films because they are, at their very essence, dealing with truths that we don't feel comfortable with. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I think uh, I think when uh, probably around this time, the the time that Interstellar came out, uh, people in the main probably thought we were well past all that kind of stuff, mm. not realizing that we were about to. Uh, cycle back into i mean you know i mean we're almost fucking middle ages level of superstition and right. uh and uh lack of trust in science and you know right. like people you know oh how could they have done that to galileo it's like well, well that's look, fucking look, different to what's happening now well look what's happening to uh how do you pronounce his name fauci fauci and you know the guy likes to go for walks to keep his uh, exercise up and he now has a security detail. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Or, you know, I mean, uh, you know, extended out to the environment stuff. I mean, you don't need to be very smart to... A child realises that if you're sitting in a bathtub and you take a shit in the bathtub, that bathwater is now polluted and fucked and you probably shouldn't wash yourself. Same logic applies... To the planet, it is a closed system. You cannot keep dumping shit everywhere. Yeah, our fucking dirty fingerprints are on every square fucking centimeter of this planet. Can yeah. you not see that has a consequence after a certain amount of time? No, no, it's fine. Oh yeah, you know the um, a. I wish you told me that before I took a bath this morning. Uh, that explains a lot. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> but this is, uh, funnily enough, we, we don't have to go into this, but my kind of next question was talking about uh, there's real subtle world building mm. in this, from the Indian drone returning to Earth because it's fried, uh, that and that the, they're obviously not even coming to look for because where is India in this world? Yeah. Uh, the There's... I mentioned that there's no more armies. Yeah. Uh, TARS and CASE uh, recommissioned battle robots. Mm. Uh, the reduction in a travelling baseball team, like, you know, Lithgow's yeah. there going, what, who are these schmucks? Like, they're not even, obviously, yeah, it's yeah. not even high class, and it's the New York Yankees. Yeah, and isn't it the World Series or something, something that they're playing? And it's like, you know, maybe 40 people in Yeah, the crowd. you know, <laughs> swarming dust clouds, blight. Yeah. Uh, this world feels awful, and with everyone wearing masks and the sky brown with dirt, feels like this is just around the corner. Mm. And I've often said, I think, one of the things that's confronting about Interstellar is that in some ways it feels for, like a documentary from the future. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I really felt it this time on on the rewatch. Uh, it didn't seem like some kind of... I mean, you know, that seems to be happening with a lot of dystopian... Uh, not that Interstellar's a dystopia, uh, but, you know, there is aspects of dystopia to it. Yeah. Uh, but it, it increasingly feels like that with a lot of dystopia... Uh, where it's like, oh, this isn't a projection anymore. This is, <laughs> we're <Yeah>. here. <laughs> yeah. And it happened so slowly, no one noticed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, let's, let's, uh, I think Murphy is a great character right from the beginning. We see she's smart and naughty, but like we said, in a good way. Mm. Like when she sneaks into the car or yeah. suggests that her dad, you know, when they get to the gate and he's like, oh, I think it's the end of the line. She said, didn't you bring the bolt cutters? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Murph and Tom feel like proper siblings. Like they feel like eighty Spielberg yeah. kids, you yeah. know, who always respect specifically ET. Rewatching that, yeah. you go, oh my god, these kids feel real. And there is also, I, I think, the the perfect balance of Nolan's precision between script design and emotion. Because the first thing we hear Murphy say to her dad is that she thought he was a ghost when he wakes from his nightmare, and when we finish with her as an old lady, knowing that she was 
completely right. Uh, is there anything else about Murph that stands out to you? Because I think it's a, I think it's a remarkable character, and I think it's also mm. a remarkable triple performance from the three actors who get to play her. Of course, it's triple. Yeah, I was th- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, it's not specifically about Murph's character, but there's a moment that I really love, and it's very, it's like two seconds long. But when uh, Coop is driving off for the final time, oh yeah, and he checks under the uh, blanket to it's see one if of my she's. Like, oh, no, as well. I'm going to cry just talking about uh, it. Too <laughs> but much. I think that's beautiful. You know, yeah. there's almost this implication of like, had she snuck into the truck like, with him, he yeah. would have taken her with her. Yeah, with him. And the disappointment in McConaughey's face. Yeah, like McConaughey's. Fuck, he's a gun in this. He's oh, so he's, good, dude. That scene where he is crying, watching the video, is. Oh. Fucking devastating. And I, I, it's I know, one of the most amazing bits of acting I've ever seen in my life. I know everyone kind of. Uh, yeah, that's another thing where people uh, go, oh, "It's too much remote." Like you know, no. it gets turned into a meme, but it's like, you know what that is? That is the equivalent of being dead and seeing your family continue to live. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. That's what it's uh, getting at. Yeah. Did you ever see that film, um, A Ghost Story? Uh, no. It's great. Right. It's a wonderful movie. But right. It's about a, a guy that dies and right. he becomes a ghost that can't leave his home. Oh. And the home becomes kind of unmoored from time. Uh, right. And, you know, and it's a similar thing of him just kind of having to stand there watching, oh. you know, and but not being able to reach out and connect. I might have to work myself up intellectually and emotionally. It's to a wonderful that, film. But it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Spielberg was initially on board to make this movie. I'm so glad he didn't. Yeah, well, I've got some uh, stuff about that. Mm. So, w- what do you think he would have made? Uh, look, I think it would have just... I, it could have been very similar, but I think it would have had that Spielbergian... You know, and, I, and I'm not saying I'm in the, like, wholly against it, but I, I don't think it would have had the... Uh, it would have been more fun and a less... And less yeah. gravitas. Yeah, and I think the it would have had that saccharine kind of quality that... You know, and, and that's not to say that there isn't a sweetness to Interstellar, but... Uh, there is also a true menace uh, yes. and uh, tension to a lot of it that I think... I think the only film that Spielberg made that could have shown that he could have made Interstellar is AI. Oh. Uh, and I think oh. that... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I loved it. Uh, I only ever watched it once. Yeah, it's devastating. Uh, and I, But I think that the only reason that AI is as powerful as it is because so much of it is Kubrickian. Um, so I'm glad that it's a Nolan film. Yes. And not a Spielberg. Yeah, so am I. Uh, I don't mind Spielberg, but he ain't, he, he's nowhere near my top 10 favourite directors. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I do love, like, I do love Spielberg, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's something interesting about, maybe we should do a deep dive on AI. He often gets a bit frustrated with people saying, oh, well, that's obviously the Spielberg influence. Yeah. And he said, no, that's. Actually, from Stanley, and it's a dark fucking ending. People yeah. misunderstand that ending. It is not a happy ending. No, it's and that's very Spielberg's, dark. But that's Spielberg's ending. The ending, yeah, really, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that's what's really interesting mm-hmm. about it. Um, you know, we've talked about how these the Dark Knight Rises and Interstellar, both in many ways, his most emotionally uh, obvious and mm. and present films, and then. And intimate in ways, and they're also the ones that consistently rank in the bottom third of popularity. Does Interstellar real? Does Interstellar yes. not had some kind of like well, reappraisal? Well, I don't. Not from what I've been able to see. Like it's 
by the way, it, it's it made, so it made, fucking good. It made like seven hundred million, and when you see consensus writings, etc., but the vocal minority will often put it towards the bottom. I can't believe. I mean, just purely on a visual level, it is unbelievable. I mean, you can watch it with the sound off, and it's unbelievable to yes. look at. Yes, beautiful. Yes, and All those I, wonderful models. But and that, that's what I think it comes down to. There is the people who can't get past that one bit of dialogue. People think it's that a the two and a half hour movie. <laughs> people think the ending is ridiculous. Like I think in mm. some ways, you know, there was a lot of press about the movie being scientifically correct through the work of Kip Thorne, etc. Mm. But what I think people mistake is it's theoretical science, mm. and the science at the end of the movie is also correct. Yeah. And there's a fucking robot running around with humour settings. Right. Like, relax. One of my favourite things. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> let's take it down to 75. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Dr. Man. Do you remember your first reaction to seeing Matt yeah, Damon? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So good. Yeah, it's great. Like, <laughs> so there's there's two bits of great stunt casting in this film. One is Michael Caine yeah. as Dr. Brandt. Yeah. Says, oh, I'm asking you to trust me. I do trust you. You're Michael Caine. Yeah. Oh, I can't trust you Michael Caine. Oh, Dr. Mann is the best of us. It's Matt Damon. Matt Damon is the best of us. Oh, no, he's not. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, really, yeah. really clever. Yeah. And I, I think it's also, like, it's up there for me with the first time I saw Seven and Kevin Spacey turned up. Mm. And having Matt Damon turn up, I, so you know that... I won't go into it because I've told the story heaps of times, but you know that the first time I saw Interstellar, I went, I RSVP'd to two different sessions on the same night. Yes. So I went with Adam Richard the first time, walked out, said goodbye to him, picked up Claire Hooper, went down, watched it a second time. And one of the great joys of life is sitting in a room that is packed at Melbourne IMAX, being the only person that knows that Matt Damon is about <laughs> to come up and just sitting there and being able to be aware, like, letting go of the movie for a moment and just being aware of everyone around me. And that was one of my favourite movie experiences yeah. where you could just feel people go, oh, what? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, His turn is, I think, darkly hilarious. Like, I laugh yes. every time when he's like, I'm sorry, I thought I could watch you. I oh. can't. <laughs> it's just, it's so robotic and strange. Because he's, well, so, so... Um, Amelia Brand says that she doesn't believe evil exists in the universe and Coop retorts, there'll be whatever that they bring with them. And man is a coward who represents the type of character in, you know, great literature that goes out to the final frontier and loses his mind and goes native. And and he is literally, Dr. Man is literally and figuratively who our heroes have to overcome to save humanity, Uh, right? So, so... Because I want to get into this, uh. and I, I think he's like he's so out of sorts, and that that first scene when he comes out and he just bursts into tears, yeah. which is so. Yeah. Once again, for a director who often is accused of being very much a man director, The Dark Knight Rises and Interstellar again have really unmasculine moments. Yeah. From traditionally masculine, masculine. yes, uh, traditionally masculine yes. moments from actors that we have seen be very masculine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. Bourne movies. Like, mm-hmm. he's coming off the Bourne movies, and yeah. next minute he's coming out of cryogenics and having a cry on yeah. McConaughey. So, 
can you have any sympathy for man with yeah, what he yeah. has to endure? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> he shot through a fucking wormhole. Yeah. You know, and, and, and when he explains that whole thing of, you know, like, you know, I, I held out hope and da 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 and then finally uh, put myself out for the long sleep, thinking that no one would ever come. You have literally risen me from the dead. Yeah. You know, I mean, I I feel like the, the, him hitting that beacon, A, what are the fucking odds that they're going to come and get him? Probably nil. Uh, And B, I think, I feel like it's akin to, you know, pulling the trigger on a gun that's going to about to kill yourself. It's like the final act of despair. Yes. You know, like, uh, yeah, of course I have sympathy for him. Yeah. I think, and and he's lost his fucking mind. And he is. He's he's, he's completely lost his mind. Yeah, he's insane. Yeah, and uh, and and I think you know that 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 line delivery when he um, betrays Cooper, all those like I mean, because his voice completely changes. It's yes. very strange. Yeah, and I and and I remember even the first time watching it, like laughing, just going, "This is a cra- yeah. crazy performance." Well, it's also <laughs> like I, I I remember reading so with the research reading one review where someone said, "Ah, uh, the." scene where they're fighting in these astronaut suits is ridiculous and it's like That's yes not. but it is mm. of course it is yeah. they're they're two human beings yeah. that have traveled to a completely different galaxy and they're having a fucking wrestle yeah, 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 like yeah. that is the folly of man yeah. right there yeah yeah, yeah 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 and also he's clearly uh the, the very fact that he docks the incorrectly docks the ship and it never occurs to him what's about to happen right he's, i mean he's you know like the guy that's flown across the fucking yes. galaxy. He knows what's going to happen. If he was in his right mind, he yes. knew exactly what was going to happen. He's yes. going to kill himself. But he's so deranged at that point and just so like, let's get get me the fuck out of here. Yes. I mean, you know, you think about what happens to people when they're in solitary confinement for 30 days. They go insane. Right. This guy's, you know. Well, well we know other... what's happened to everyone in Melbourne. Yeah, exactly. You know, you talk to people like, and that's not being flippant. You, you talk to people yeah. in Melbourne and they are, a lot of our friends are afraid. You know, very afraid, very depressed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it, and it's fascinating as well. You know, Michael Caine also lying mm. to try and keep. Like, it's interesting. What, what's what's the story if Michael Caine doesn't lie? Or what's what happens if, uh, you know, Dr. Mann wakes up and says, hey, I lied. Can we still get to that other planet? And, you know, then what's, yeah. what's he like on that planet? Like, yeah. is he... Anyway, I think he's popped. You know what it reminds me of, and this is a deep cut that probably no one but you and me are going to understand. But it reminds me of that part early on in the filth. When oh, uh, yes. do you remember the uh, the part where they were on, they're on the porno planet? Yes, and, uh, that guy betray- <laughs> I can't even remember the main character's name. But betrays him, and he ends up rerouting his piss tube into right. and drowning him in his own piss. Rem- that scene, I remember even the first time I saw Interstellar, it reminded me very much of the filth. Maybe we should do a deep dive on the twelve chapters of the oh, filth. Oh, the filth is. Just I've had co- I've had wonderful. Twitter contact with Chris Weston. That'd be fun. Oh, like it's wonderful. It's so it's good. My favorite Morrison. Yeah. Uh, I also think that, just getting back to Murph for a moment, uh, you know, she has to endure trials throughout this movie. Her youthful intelligence is questioned, her perceived, you know, her perceived rejection of her father, her inability to connect with her brother, her father figure lying to her, yet she remains true to herself and keeps the faith, thus finding the watch that allows her to save humanity. Mm. My interpretation of this film is that Coop is the instrument, but Murph is the hero. And I was wondering if your interpretation... Yeah, 100%. Well, because yeah. it has to be Murph that, that tweaks. I mean, what, you know, <laughs> what are the odds yes. <laughs> going back to the house and, yeah. you know, oh, whoops, it's my dad <laughs> as a spirit in the, in the fifth dimension behind the bookcase. Right, which <laughs> is 
what, what he's saying about love. Yeah, of course. That yeah, she yeah. will, you know, no, she's she absolutely knows there's something the going story. on. Yeah, absolutely. The, the the one gripe I do have with that moment is I've always thought when she runs out of the house after Casey Affleck oh, put out the yes. fire, he's just going to rip that fucking watch out of her hand and smash it to pieces. I would not be showing him the watch. There is... there. So, you know, like as I said, I know the movie's not perfect, but there, I have... I would like to have had another five minutes of this film yes. where we just kind of find out what eventuated with Tom. Because I'm... Because yeah. Timothy Chalamet does a great job of him at the start. Yeah, 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 and, uh, yeah, yeah. I know Casey Affleck is problematic, but I think he's really good yeah. in this. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I would like to know. Like, I I don't think Coop doesn't ask about her. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like a lot of people go, he just goes up, meets her and then leaves. It's like, no, we don't get their whole time together. Yeah. Like, it's quite clearly... He I, goes and and I think we've earned some more time with them because I think we get yeah. I think we get more time with uh, uh, with Murph's friend I can't remember his name the worst character in the whole fucking movie Topher Grace oh he's awful he's that 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 that, that you know his line delivery is a get out of here now like who the fuck are you like yeah. well, when he pulls out the um the wrench out of the back of the truck when Casey and he's going to cave Casey Affleck's oh, head yeah, in. It's like, oh, come on, bro. Mate, you are in trouble. <laughs> you are in trouble if you get into a fight with Casey Affleck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I reckon Casey Affleck would be a dirty fighter. Eye gouger, oh, biter. You think you'd won and then suddenly you <laughs> realise there was some piece of rock shoved up your arsehole. Yeah. Uh, I think this movie has moments of overwhelming beauty, the chase through the cornfields, mm. the sounds of a rainforest as the mm. Endurance cruises past Saturn, mm. the ship docking over the ice planet. Mm. Is there a scene that stands out in particular for you? Uh, I love the uh, rotating space station, very small. I think it's against Saturn Yeah, when it's spinning. Oh, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the rainforest as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 absolutely beautiful. And... Uh, and you know, beyond the intensity of the soundtrack and the context of what's going on, the entire docking sequence is just beautiful. And in in that 2001 sense of, you know, you're watching it as a piece of craft. Yeah. Just like, my God, this is not CG. These are all models. It's just beautiful. Yeah. You know, like I from the moment that Dr. Man explodes mm. to Coop, sacrificing himself so Brandon humanity can live. Mm. That is probably my favourite yeah. stretch of any movie. Yeah, it's wonderful. Love it. It's wonderful. Like, I love it. It's, it's beautiful. It's thrilling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people forget that when Coop goes into the black hole, he's not thinking he's going to find... All he's doing is hoping, A, to give her the jettison, but also if he can get some information out, he and Taz can get some information out, mm. maybe they can... Brand can send it back. You think that he's he committing suicide? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. He's not going down thinking he's going to travel to the other side of the universe. Mm. He's going into a black hole. He's not going into the wormhole. I love how calm he is the whole time. Yes. Breaking up. Everything's getting dark. Because <laughs> he, I know, because he knows because he's he knows he's got to get the information out. It's yeah. selfless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's rewarded yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in a certain way. i got to say, when I found out that that Tesseract... Are we, are we calling the behind the bookcase? Yes. That's the Tesseract, right? Yeah. When I found out that was a physical set, that blew oh, my fucking mind Phenomenal. Apart. Unbelievable. Have you watched any of the makings of it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. stunning. It's wonderful. Um, I also think there's also a moment that people don't really focus on as well, which is when they've been down on the water planet and they get back and they're 
fellow astronaut has aged yeah, 23 yeah, years yeah, and he's yeah. been there. I, I feel like, funnily enough, in a bombastic movie, the fact that they didn't, in a, in a lesser film, they would have given him severe makeup to make him older. Yeah. But instead, they kind of just give him a bit of grey and the acting is... He, it's wonderful. He acts older. Yeah, like and, and, and there's older. a diminishment. And, and there is also like a low-level, not insanity, yeah. but he's clearly disturbed. Like, he's been there for a long a time. A long time, yeah. I've only got a few more questions for you. But let's get to the... Um, oh, so, so what is your favourite scene in the movie? The docking sequence. The docking sequence. Well, that, that entire, that, probably, yeah. I would say it's a, probably a half an hour stretch. Yeah. It's so it's funny. Excellent. I love that scene so much that I often forget, like, when I was re-watching it and I'm watching the Waterworld stuff, I'm like going, this is <laughs> the best scene in anyone else's movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tick, tick. Uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room, or in this case, the bookcase. Uh, I love the ending. I feel like, as I've already said, lines up with theoretical science used throughout the story, and some people can't get their heads around it. So do you think we connect with it because Mm. we were brought up on the works of Grant Morrison and Alan Moore? Yes. And we... We already have been taught from our teenage years yes. the idea that using Superman as an example, mm. you could lay down every yes. comic, every page of every Superman comic, and you can see a character living his life. Mm-hmm. But from our pers- and he's in mm-hmm. a two dimensional world, but from our three dimensional world, we can flick back and forward. Yep. And so it means that you still have choice, yes. but it's just perceived differently yeah. from a higher world. Yeah. So is that why we're completely fine with it? Because I. Yeah, I, I remember the first criticism criticisms of that, and the two things that went through my head was, "Oh, I'm really surprised that this is hard for you to get your head around." Yeah. Like this is the thing in yeah. the movie, yeah. and the second thing was that it just. Oh, anyway, just I think I think it's I think it's that I think it I definitely is that because as I said earlier, you know, when that started happening and I realized what was happening, I oh, was like, yeah. oh yes, yes, yeah, I was uh, the same because yeah. at first you're like, what the fuck is going yeah, on yeah, yeah. here? But it's also a thing of, I mean, it's probably always been this way, but you know, the first time I saw 2001, right, I didn't get it, but didn't mean I hated it. I enjoyed oh, yeah. the ambiguity. I enjoyed walking away going, what the fuck did that mean? So funnily enough, that was the second point I was going to make, which is the ending of 2001 is bonkers. Yeah. And like, you know, I think uh, Kubrick deliberately placed it in something that was, you know how the sets, all those scenes are very real. Yeah. And that's what makes it alien. Yeah. yeah because yeah. it's like, how the hell is he in a hotel? In <laughs> I think, I think, you know, uh, May, I mean, again, I think it's, you know, you hear stories about the premiere of 2001. Apparently, Rock Hudson stormed out, yes. you know, like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Yes. Uh, so, it's probably always been that. I think the internet has exacerbated that notion of, like, um, needing to understand it two minutes after you saw it and not just sit with it. And But, I mean, I've, I've, I've always loved films that, you know, what what happened? What does that mean? You know, let's... I mean, isn't that isn't that the, the 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 power of these films having some kind of longevity that you don't understand it fully? Yeah, you can have a think. Out. Yeah, I you mean, it, it's. It, I guess you know, some people just need it all to be in a neat little bow, and that's fine, I suppose. But that's you know, that's the difference between. So, like, let's make an example. Uh, use an example of 
movies with great ambition. Mm. So the and I know these are very different films, but mm. the difference between an Interstellar and an Avengers Endgame is mm. they are both incredibly ambitious. Mm. And Avengers Endgame, which I thoroughly enjoyed and mm. thought really pulled off something yeah. like bonkers, yeah. tells its story and there's not really that much ambiguity no. and there's not much more for me to think about. And when I do rewatch it, there are times when I kind of drift off because there's nothing really to think about. Yeah. But with Interstellar, I'm constantly reevaluating uh, what I think, uh, really evaluating what I think. Uh, also having new ideas, new yeah. thoughts. That's what I had with this viewing of yeah. it. Uh, the, the I, I've deliberately kind of steered clear a little bit of the 2001 stuff because I feel like with this podcast, we're trying to find new ways yeah. in. But uh, I did want to say... 2001 ends with Bowman being sent somewhere when he enters the monolith near Jupiter mm -hmm. and Interstellar finishes with Coop returning to our solar system when he journeys uh, back to Saturn. Yep. 2001's ending demands an emotional comprehension that connects on the subconscious mind mm -hmm. and it's a message of spiritual grace. Mm -hmm. And Interstellar is a tribute to what holds us together and both movies are essentially about the next step in human evolution. Mm. So... Do you think both movies represent the specific hopes of when 2001 was released and when Interstellar was released? Is that is that the yeah, main difference? That's yeah, that's interesting. That is very interesting because you know I think there's a reason that 2001 uh, was kind of balked at by the mainstream and very much embraced by the flower children. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 And this I, feels like it's the like the. The, th the science, you know, the intellectual, we, yeah. can, we can rise above things yeah. through science. Yeah. And that is... But I also, I think that, you know, when people say, oh, Interstellar does make... It's like, it's the, it's the, you know, I think Interstellar is more complicated than Inception. Uh, but it's all there. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not like, you know, it's not like they just dump all this imagery on you and don't explain what's going on. Well, you just got to fucking pay attention. Just pay attention. And yeah. it's quite, you know, at the end you realise, oh, the reason that his ship crashed mm. in that very first scene, mm. which is a hell of an opening scene. Mm. And the reason that the tractors all the, uh, come to his farm mm. and they're all kind of out of whack. Mm. And the reason the drone does what it does is for the same reason why there's all these, the books being moved, which is it's him trying to contact him. He's the gravitational anomaly because yeah. he's trying to, get in touch with Murph. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, that's what I mean where it's, uh, I think it's his precision script writing mm. really comes to the fore. Yeah. I, I, and it's actually quite subtle. Yeah, and I think that, that, that people, you know, I think also, it's something you said earlier, you know, that these concepts are familiar to us through Moore and Morrison. Uh, but I do remember when these concepts were new to me yes. and how much of a, like I remember thinking, I will never be able to conceptually un get wrap my head around this. It's yes. it's too difficult, and so I do understand that reaction for people who have never, oh, you know, yeah. like if my mum, if I tried to explain to my mum, oh, there's the concept that you know all time is one time and every moment exists simultaneously. Like I know she could not, like even understand that in metaphor. Right. What the fuck what the fuck are you talking about? Right. Um and also, you know, if it's something that it's never really occurred to you, uh it's a very um it could be quite a confronting worldview to have. Oh, and yeah. you know, what do humans do better 
then when they're confronted with something they don't understand, they get aggressive and angry. And yeah. no, yeah. That, I don't like that. This is bullshit. What's mate? the implication of that? The implication <laughs> is that I have no free will. Well, guess what? You probably don't. So that's and that doesn't mean that your life doesn't have meaning. It doesn't mean that you, yeah. you know, that there isn't resonance. It just it doesn't really make a difference, does it? But you still make the moves. It's like uh, you know, you you are still doing. Yeah, you're still it's doing just it from a higher. Yeah. Plane. You've already done it. You've already done it. it doesn't, but it doesn't mean you're not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The It's fascinating. Uh, I think Interstellar is in conversation, obviously, with 2001. I think it's also in conversation with Solaris mm. and Silent Running. Mm-hmm. The Huey, Dewey and Louie mm-hmm. robots feel very much like Tars and mm-hmm. Uh There is, I think there's an interesting conversation with Close Encounters. Yeah. You know, Spielberg said that uh, as an older... Uh, gentleman he said that if he'd made close encounters now he wouldn't have richard dreyfus leave his family that's very much a young man's decision Mm. at the end but that also has an ending that literally finishes with aliens coming from another planet and turning out to be a brass band (laughs) like because because to have aliens connect with you in a way or an advanced civilization connected with you in a way that's understandable is to make it less alien. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. How else could they? Are there any other sci-fi movies that I'm missing? I, one... I know there's also... A, uh, the Right Stuff was a big influence yeah. on this as well. There was another one. I can't remember what it's called, though, where they do do the same thing with the piece of paper. Right. Uh, I think it's the Sam Neill oh. sci-fi movie. Event Horizon? Maybe it's Event Horizon. I don't know if I've seen Event Horizon. There, 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 there is a movie where they do the same uh, explanation of wormhole. Through, oh, right. Uh, putting two dots on a piece of paper and then folding it. Yep. I believe it's Sam now. Sphere, maybe it's called. Right, okay. I can't remember. Yeah, but it's. I'm fairly certain Sam Neill's in it. Uh, interesting side note, in that film, Sam Neill uh, is wearing a patch uh, on his spacesuit that is the Union Jack... Uh, but sorry, the um, Stars of Australia. But instead of the Union Jack, it's the Aboriginal flag. Oh. Uh, and that was his insistence. Oh, that, Sam Neill. Yeah, and that was his insistence that uh, you know, if we were to be this advanced civilization that was able to cross the stars, then surely by then we would have integrated uh, our culture, our cultures together in a way that was more inclusive. Ah, yeah, great guy. Ah, oh, Sam Neill. He did meat ads. I don't oh, like that. Oh, I know. But... With the meat ads, I hold them against him as well. But, uh, you know, like, guess what? Guess what doesn't need an advert, mate? Yeah. Meat. And, you know, everyone's flawed. Whatever. Uh, okay. So, but but that brings me back. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Good to even that shit out. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my final question with all of these things, would you like to see this as a TV series? Nah. No, neither do I. Nah. I like. I love it. I, it's fine. I, Self-contained. Two minutes on top. That's all I need. Yeah. Two minutes. Just... I, I would like. I, I could definitely do with you know whatever the director's extended edition, an yeah. extra half an hour to pad out some of the, the character stuff that might be a bit glossed over. I.e., the stuff with uh, the brother. Yes. Uh, even the stuff with Anne Hathaway uh, uh, and her and her love interest on the other planet. Right. I think some of that maybe is skipped over a little bit too quickly, and and I think only uh, I, I would only like more of that so that the end maybe resonates a bit more with her kind of being alone on the planet. But these are all, again, minor gripes within something that is you know, oh, yeah. I do, almost perfect. I do love that uh, scene of 
him with Tars, you know, sneaking off, mm. getting into the ship. Once again, on the insistence of his rebellious daughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, anyway, I I thought about this for a while and I was like, nah, I just want this on the big screen being injected straight into my human yeah. eyeballs. That's right. And some things work best as just hot shots. Yeah. Just give me the hot shot. Yeah. I don't need this drawn out. It's... Uh, there's just so many little things I love as well, like, the, you know, the guy that's showing him around the uh, base at the end and he says, oh, I wrote a paper on you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you go, yeah, yeah. oh, man, how long has he been gone? Yeah, like, how yeah, old yeah, is yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think, you know, I think the, 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 the main thing that I love about Interstellar beyond the visuals and everything is just the relentless intensity of it. Yeah. And I don't think that you could have, you can't sustain that level of intensity over a, yeah. uh, a, a 10 episode series or whatever. It, it needs to just be this, you know, hammering at you for yeah. the two and a half hours that you've got and we're out. I'm, like, I'm wrapped that it's McConaughey going back through the wormhole that's holding Bran's hand. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. I, the first time I saw it, when he pops out into, uh, in you know, where it's that real close-up of his face mm. and, and all the music just stops and it's just this slight bit of soundtrack in the background. And I was, I have to be honest, the first time I saw it, I was prepared for that to be the ending. I was waiting for that to, where you wouldn't quite know mm. what had happened. And then mm. when we got that little coda, I was like... Oh, I felt so relieved. I was like, oh, I don't like. I don't know if I could have coped not really yeah. knowing. Yeah. Uh, some squid bits for you. Um, uh, the the I've already talked about the coop using gravity to try and communicate, uh, accounting for the an- anomalies. Uh, more religious overtones. John Lithgow makes fun of Coop and Murph when they're staring at the dust, quipping oh, yeah, yeah. that they're praying <laughs> when to you it. Praying to it. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful colors in that scene as well, yeah. isn't there? All those brown and golds yeah. and. Yeah. Uh, the people also at NASA have a religious awe for whoever they are that place the wormhole near Saturn. Mm. Also, they believe that Coop uh, has to impile, has to pilot the Endurance because they let him there. So there's mm. kind of more of that they. religious kind of yep. approach to it. Um, if you uh, really want to enjoy the religious overtones, uh, Coop, JC, he's the father. Mm. He becomes the ghost, and when he returns, he is the son to the daughter, an age differential. Ah, very good. Uh, this is interesting. Timothy Chalamet. Uh, so I've just, I just uh, cut and pasted this conversation. This is, this is very cute for where he was age-wise. Mm-hmm. And as we know, he has turned out to be a handsome young man who Uh gets to make out with Johnny Depp, uh, Arnie Hammer and Johnny Depp's uh, daughter. And he's making Dune, so everything's good for him. But uh, he said, when I did Intercellar, I saw that 12 times in theatres in IMAX. Well done, Timothy. (laughs) Well, you already had my respect, but now I'm right on board. Uh, Christopher Nolan had a screening at Lincoln Square and he invited just some of the people from the cast, which is surreal because it's a huge IMAX theatre. So, but it was me, Anne Hathaway, Jessica Chastain and John Lithgow and I really had no career at this point. So I was like the fraud a a little bit in this room and I saw it and I loved it but then I went home with my dad and wept for an hour because I just figured my part was bigger. They didn't even cut anything. I just figured, I don't know what I figured and... The, he's actually speaking to Emma Stone and she said did, it, it suggested it felt so giant when he was doing it and he agreed. 
and he said, also, I had this monologue in space that's like McConaughey's most brilliant acting in the uh. movie where he's getting those video logs and he starts weeping. It's really amazing. The whole thing plays on him as it should because it's about him, but I'm in the theatre and I'm like, and it says in brackets, <laughs> anguished, and Emma Stone said, I had some incredible stuff here. Really? So you could imagine as a kid. Yeah, you know, fuck yeah. I, that, what I like about that is it, it suggests a level of humility that he yeah. would even admit that when things are going so well for him. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. He seems like a very cool guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, um, even to do Call Me By Your Name at such a young age, to oh, be that yeah. confident to you know put yourself out like that. Yes. Out there like that. Yeah, um, you have to have a strength of character. Yeah. yeah. And that final, obviously the final shot of Call Me By Your Name is one of the most beautiful pieces oh, yeah. of acting. Yeah. all time he's he's wonderful mm. um on the water planet the ticking in the soundtrack occurs every 1.25 seconds and each tick represents a whole day passing on earth oof oh i gotta be honest i'm glad i read that after the rewatch because that might have been too much for me there's a uh, production designer nathan crowley said that the ranger had to be this stylish shape and they referred to it as the ferrari mm. of the group which kind of you go oh yeah, yeah. uh this isn't really anything. I just wanted to bring it up. There's a beautiful, subtle transition from Coop watching 23 years of messages. And from that, we go, it takes us right back to where Murph is at that part of the story. And there's yeah. all these real subtle transitions that I think, because they're subtle, people don't talk about them. Mm. But the way that it bounces back and forth between the times yeah. is is never jarring. Mm. Uh, as you probably already know, uh, Ken Burns' Dust Bowl series was a huge influence on the movie, yep. and those are real people yep. uh, interspersed with Ellen Burstyn at the start. Uh, Jonathan Nolan deliberately made the world, because he first wrote the script when Spielberg was attached in 2008, Jonathan Nolan deliberately made the world a s- slightly terrible and not dystopian, because if you make it dystopian, it makes it extreme, and then, of course, everyone would want to leave. Yeah. So it has to be livable in some way. Yeah. Therefore, people... You know, have moving from town to town to avoid the dust, but not thinking we need to get off the planet. Yeah. Christopher Nolan wanted to avoid any futurism in the design of the movie as he wanted to focus the energy that would take to create that into other parts of the production. Mm. And the outcome of that is the movie looks timeless. And yeah. it does look like you could place it alongside. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was watching it. a little thing about how they designed the ship and a lot of it is um, old airplane parts. Yes, uh, right. Uh, you know, the uh, serving um, uh, carts yep. and airplanes that are panels now in the ship and everything. So it's like... Uh, uh, similar to Mad Max Fury Road, when you look around at certain right. things and it's like, oh no, this is all cobbled together from existing things. Yeah. Very good. They planted two uh, lots of acres of corn, one that was 350 acres and the other was 500 acres. And when they planted it, where it was, it wasn't conducive to growing and were panicking that it wasn't going to grow to the right height. But it turns out corn when it does grow, actually grows quite quickly. Yeah. So they were like, oh, Jesus, we've got to start filming and this is not happening. And then, boop, boop, corn. <laughs> uh, Nolan had a whole scene in The Dark Knight Rises that revolved around dust, which they didn't end up using, but he, what he learnt from that, he applied in this film. Do you know what that scene would have been? That's all I could find. Oh, interesting. So I wonder what that is. Yeah, well. That's cool. I assume maybe in Morocco. I guess, yeah. yeah mate, like, you know, my, my criticism of The Dark Knight Rises is that we don't have another 35, 40 minutes of him on the run getting back, but yeah. maybe maybe it was that. Yeah. Uh, Tars was not only voiced by Bill Irwin, 
but uh, also great physically. Voice. Oh, so great good. Great voice. Very understated. Very great. And still, you know. Very funny. Really funny. <laughs> I'll start turning on the light to let you know when he's yeah. making a joke. Um, but he also physically brought him to yeah. life. So you've seen that yeah. as well. It's yeah. Fascinating yeah. to watch, and it doesn't take away from the magic of it. No, not at all. In fact, it increases it. I'm watching it, going, "God, how was your lower back not put out operating that puppet?" And and delivering lines yeah. like even if you redub them later, yeah. you're still delivering the lines. Yeah. And uh, the the actors said they could tell the difference between Tars and Case just in the subtle, like you know, even in the in the movie. Yeah. Case says, uh, you, "You don't do much talking." You know, Case. Uh, Case says, "Yeah, Taz does all does enough talking for both of us." Yeah. And McConaughey, I started calling him Slick, and so I think you know, there's a couple of times in the movie that it calls him Slick. So yeah. I wonder if they just kept that, and that feels like a very yeah 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 old school Americana myth thing that totally. a guy would be yeah hey Slick yeah that's such a good moment when he uh, when Brand says goodbye to Taz and he says, "I'll see you on the other side, Coop," and she you see that look mm. on her face like. Oh. What, what what do you mean I'll see you on the other side? Then he's upside down. Remember what we agreed? 90%. Fuck. I could burst into tears with happiness <laughs> just even thinking about that scene. McConaughey is the dad that you wish you had, right? In that McConaughey's movie? the man I wish I was. That's, what <laughs> I, uh, that's where I'm at with that. Uh, this movie contains the elements that make life. There's fire in the corns, water on the planet, and ice on the planet. So uh-huh. there's kind of a very elemental yes. feel to this uh, film. Yep. Um, more religious overtones. Connor is, uh, Cooper is an occupational name for a maker and repairer of wooden vessels. And Joseph means to add or increase. And Amelia means industrious and striving and also connotes with... Uh, Fertility, right? Uh, with Cooper going to find Brand to repopulate a new Garden of Eden. These are these are the new parents of humanity, but they're defiantly logical and mm. they're believers in science. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer on making the soundtrack. Chris said to me in his casual way, "So Hans, if I wrote one page of something, didn't tell you what it was about, just give you one page. Would you give me one day of work?" Zimmer uh, said, "Whatever you came up with on that." one day would be fine. Zimmer agreed, and then one day he received a one-page typewritten letter. On the paper was a short story, no more than, you know, just like a few paragraphs about a father who leaves his child to do an important job. It contained two lines of dialogue, I'll come back, when, and quoted something Zimmer had said a year before during a conversation with Nolan and his wife at a restaurant in London. He said... There was no movie to be made. There was no movie to discuss. We were just talking about our children. I said, once your children are born, you can never look at yourself through your eyes anymore. You always look at yourself through their eyes. Zimmer spent a day composing the theme and then showed it to Nolan, and Nolan loved it. It was only then when Nolan revealed what kind of movie he had in mind. As Zimmer said, I asked him, well, yes, but what is the movie? And he started describing this huge epic tale of space and science and humanity on this epic scale and I said Chris hang on I've just written this highly personal thing you know and he said yes but I now know where the heart of the movie is Ah, everything about this movie was personal the base of the music was recorded and used while filming the movie rather than using placeholding music which most films do which Mm. is fascinating the organ used for the music was recorded at London's Temple Church on the 
1926 four manual Harrison and Harrison organ and was played by the church's music director Roger Sayer. Yeah, have you seen I that? Have. Yeah, if, if anyone hasn't seen the making yeah, of it, watching that guy work that organ and coming up with the different tones yeah. is yeah. something to watch, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. It took Zimmer two years to create the soundtrack. He also isolated himself in his London apartment for a month in the summer of 2013 so he could live as a hermit and get himself into the mindset. Right. Some of the differences in the original 2008 script, and I'm going to put the article up on our Facebook, our Big Squid Facebook page, mm-hmm. so because it's it's pretty laborious. Oh no, not laborious, but it's long, and yeah. and uh, you know this podcast has already been going for a while. But um, some of the differences in the original 2008 script that Spielberg was going to direct: Murphy was a boy. There aren't any ghosts. Coop and Murph are led to NASA by an American probe, which falls from the sky. The robots look more like humans, and Tars wears a straw hat when they first (laughs) meet him. (laughs) At one point, Murph finds strawberries, and Cooper stops him from eating them because he doesn't recognise what they are. On the ice planet, there's a Chinese base camp covered in snow and abandoned. Turned out the Chinese stumbled on the wormhole around the same time as the Americans and sent a team through it without anyone realising. There's an underground world with oceans, mountains and exotic alien organisms including sentient vegetation that can break apart and reform at will. The Chinese robots had built a world down there, but China collapsed and never sent anyone else to populate the place. The same robots caught American probes and disabled them to keep them from discovering the planet. Uh, there's so there's yeah, a lot wow, more. Wow, there's wow. so Nolan really takes it yeah, in yeah, a very yeah. different direction, even just right from the start, changing it to a story about a father yeah. and a daughter, yeah. which is really which I think is much better. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Nolan was making Interstellar when Gravity came out, so Nolan deliberately avoided it at the time. He told the director Alfonso Curion, uh, Curion after, uh, over dinner after the Oscars why he hadn't seen it, to which Alfonso totally understood. And it is funny because the first time I did see it, I was wondering why the shrapnel of the exploding endurance wasn't ripping holes into... Uh, so Because I'd just seen you know Gravity yeah, a year yeah, before, yeah. so it was a smart move not to Definitely. because that is just... Like, that's not that movie. And that yep. is something that you... But all that shrapnel, you know, like, just such a... That's, like, I know we've talked about it, but that scene where just fucking humans shitting all over another fucking oh, planet with debris going everywhere. Unbelievable. And, oh, yeah, so good. Uh, Indian actor Irfan Khan was originally offered the role of Dr. Man but had a scheduling conflict. Uh. Uh, which, I, like, he was a great actor, and I think he would have been fantastic. Box. But there's something about you the, gotta have Damon, the and specifically the way. Oh, anyway, well, yeah, he, Damon's perfect, and also he's the he is the uh, you know the shadow side of that American hero yes. archetype as well. Oh so yes, it oh works yeah, works perfectly with. Oh, McConaughey. Yes, yes, he is. He is. Oh, yeah, great mm, point. Fuck, mm. I'm going to rewatch the movie now just so <laughs> I can enjoy that even more. But he is the. He's the reflection yeah. of the American hero gone wrong. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the reality. Yeah. Yeah. And McConaughey is everything I want yeah, to be. Yeah, the myth. Uh, the movie had the filming title of Flora's Letter, which is the name of one of Nolan's children. Kip Thorne, who helped create the original idea, had two guidelines that nothing would violate established physical laws and that all the wild speculations would spring from science and not the fertile mind of a screenwriter. For a while, Nolan kept 
pushing for a couple of weeks about the idea of flying faster than the speed of light and Kip Thorne kept pushing back on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the highest degree of artistic freedom in the movie, according to Kip Thorne, is the clouds of ice, which are structures that would go beyond the material strength that ice could support. But it's such a... It's a great, uh, it's great a, visual. Yeah, keep it. Yeah. Like Nolan said, you know, if it's going to take away from the spectacle, then, you know... He, he, he'll keep it in. But uh, the black hole is considered scientifically correct, even though it doesn't account for the Doppler effect, which is the change in frequency of a wave in relation to the observer who is moving relative to the wave source. So like when you're in a vehicle and there's a car with a siren, you hear the siren yeah. and then the siren, you, you come parallel with it and then you hear it receding. So yeah. that's the only thing they didn't have the uh, black hole doing because they just felt like it like you're already taking in a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the use of Saturn is a subtle reference to 2001 because in the initial plan for that movie, they were meant to go, they were going to use Saturn, but I think it's Saturn in the book actually. Right. Uh, but it was discarded because the visual effects weren't advanced enough to bring the rings to the mm-hmm. big screen. Mm-hmm. And finally, I kept this one last because it's so funny and you will enjoy this so much. Anne Hathaway got hypothermia filming the ice planet scenes and, she was five minutes away from dying, so no one figured they had five minutes to get their shots. <laughs> <laughs> what a piece of shit. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and, and the way Anne Hathaway tells it, she's just like, yep, yeah, well, fair enough. You know, there's like there's there's no wimps on a, on a Nolan set. Yeah, wow. That, that was always a missed... Um, <laughs> that was always... Um, um, if, if I... You know, do you ever watch... So I was watching the Academy Awards one year, and I forget who the host was, but it was the year that Dunkirk was. Yeah. Um, it was the year that Dunkirk was uh, nominated, nominated. Yeah. and I, as as a fun thing, but I'm sure people would have gone, "No, nah, that's in poor taste." But I think this is really funny. You know, there's that scene where the bombs are coming, and it and it yeah. blows that soldier up into the yeah, air. Yeah, yeah. I would have claimed that he was real, and I would have had a in my opening monologue, I would have had an in memoriam for all the actors that <laughs> Nolan actually killed to get for the realism. realism. Of his- <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the, the French actor, <laughs> you know, yeah. he's really dead, you know, and like I'd have a footage of the French actor going, Oh, what? <laughs> you know, anyway, that was uh, something I would have done. Uh, any, uh, like we have had a lot of thoughts and for anyone who has not, uh, been overwhelmed by this? Do you have any last thoughts on no, Interstellar? I think, I, I think I've, uh, I've, I've I've condemned humanity. I've talked about my uh, love of fourth dimensional time space. I'm, yep. uh, I'm done. We have covered everything, everything in this movie. What a what a fun rewatch! And I feel almost a uh, a little bit sad for Dunkirk because I think Dunkirk is brilliant, and I love yeah. Dunkirk. Yeah. But it and seems like we're not going to have as much uh, meat on the bone. But maybe we will. Who knows? You know, you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend way too much time alone finding new angles for I us don't to discuss doubt it. Dunkirk. <laughs> Thank you to Ben Elwood for his great work on today's podcast. And as I said earlier, I think the next two are our... Best work yet. Dunkirk and Tenet. Whew. Good fun. Coming up very soon. Next week, we will have comedian Alex J from The Ladies' Guide to Dude Cinema chatting about the movies that have taken her by surprise. There's a few dude movies that she's ended up watching going, you know what? I quite like these. It's a great podcast. We had a really good chat. So you'll be getting that next week along with Cal Wilson and her segment, My Proudful Shame, where you'll hear a 
different side from me for a difference. Hmm. Might hear me be a little bit angry about something. Just a little bit of different texture <laughs> to the podcast. I listened back to it and I went, oh, yep, okay. Anyway, that's all next week. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. And if you have the time, write a glowing review at Apple Podcasts, only if you have the time. Uh, if you do find the time to do that, that is very sweet of you. And uh, I really appreciate it. We're trying to get this podcast out there. We're slowly building. We're building in the right direction. And uh, any help is always, always appreciated. If you want more information about upcoming episodes, you can join us at the Big Squid Facebook page or join our closed-off conversation page there too. Anyone can join. It's usually just a, a nicer, smaller space for us to be talking about all sorts of things. And also, don't forget the live Big Squid show on December 13. You can head to giantdwarf.com for more details. Let's finish this podcast with a quote from Matthew McConaughey. Life's barely long enough to get good at one thing, so be careful what you get good at. Until then. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.